Sherry Pennison is uh, back in the hospital again and undergoing, uh, is she going to have another surgery? Do you know, Karen? Okay. Okay. She's already had uh, been in the operating room two times, and so I hope that you will uh, look for her. And I think her name is in the uh, directory, and certainly you'll remember her and your prayers. Her and Bob, they need all the encouragement they can get, and you might give them a call see if they have any needs or whatever. Let's prepare ourselves this morning in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. During that time, we have the opportunity to name privately to God the Father any unconfessed sins which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for providing us with everything that we need, both physically and spiritually. We thank you that we don't have to dread the future, for we know that you are in control of all things. You are our protector and our provider. We pray that you'll be with uh, Sherry and Bob as they continue to go through this uh, time of testing, that you will help the physicians find out uh, what the problem is. We thank you for them and others who are standing firm for the faith no matter what the circumstances are. We pray that you will help us this morning to focus our total attention upon your mighty word that it may have a great work within our lives. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We are in Joshua chapter 2 and we've been looking at Rahab. There's much to learn from Rahab. We saw that, first of all, she was a person who thought for herself. I think the fact that she thought for herself and the fact that she was a believer, even before the spies arrived, go together. She lived in a pagan society. Everyone was into idolatry and false uh, gods and all types of abominations. And yet she didn't buy into it because she thought for herself. And she put two and two together. She recognized that man did not create what she saw. She saw the mountains, the trees, the stars, the sun, the moon, and so forth. So she knew that there had to be a creator greater than man. Furthermore, she heard reports that there was a God, a God of the Israelites, who had caused the Red Sea to part and the people came across on dry ground. And then it flooded back over those who were chasing them, which were Pharaoh's soldiers. They heard about what happened in, at the uh, east side of the Jordan, which we'll cover in a little more detail today, King Sihon and Og of Ammon, and how they utterly destroyed them. And she put these two things together and said, okay, the God of the universe, the one that created the earth, must be the God of of the Israelites. So when the spies came, she had already uh, believed and she was thinking for herself. And we might call her a truth seeker. Seeking truth is so very important because if you really get down to the bottom line, our eternal destiny depends upon whether we are true seekers. That is, whether we really want to know God or not and know once we have believed in Jesus Christ, what he wants us to do now that we are believers, truth seekers. Now, it wasn't easy for her because everyone that she knew, I mean everyone that she knew, were pagans and was into idolatry. And so she believed differently than everyone else. And it took great courage for her to do what she did for when the spies, the two spies that Joshua sent, across the Jordan to spy out Jericho. When they came to her house and she found out that they were Israelites and they were worshipped that true God, 
she had to decide, am I going to go along with the easy route, which would be to tell on them when the king's men came. The king found out that there were two spies in the land. They even knew where they were. So they sent the king sent the two spies to the house of Rahab. And she very easily could have turned them over. That would have been the easy thing to do. She might have been even applauded and celebrated. A great patriot. But she knew that she would have to go against her conscience. Was she going to obey the king of Jericho? Or was she going to obey the king of kings and lord of lords is what it came down to. It wasn't easy to do. Most people put in that position will try to compromise. They'll try to take that hard decision and make it easier by negotiating or compromising. But she was in a position where there was no compromise. She had to make a decision. Is she going to be for the God of the Israelites or was she going to go along with what everybody else thought? That meant that it's very possible that her family would have disowned her. She could have been ostracized. In fact, she could have lost her very life for doing what she did because we know that she took in the spies. This is a woman that had great capacity to love because when the spies came and she hid them, we'll go into a little more detail about essentially what happened, she could have very easily said, okay, I'm going to protect you. But after the, the soldiers came to her and she lied to them, and we'll get to that today also about the lying part, and she sent them on, a, on, on their way, she could have very easily gone up and said, okay, they're gone now. Let's get out of here because my life is in jeopardy. If they found out that she had hidden the spies, she would have been in deep trouble. So she could have left with them. She told them how to get out, where to go, the whole thing. But she didn't. She stayed there. Why did she stay there? Because of her family. Because of her father and her mother and her brothers and sisters and those that she loved. And she made a deal. She made a contract, a covenant with those two spies. Because she was used by God to save their lives, she says, okay, I want you to save our lives. Because she had not a doubt that the Israelites were going to come across the river. They were going to go to Jericho and they were going to utterly destroy it. And so she made a deal with the two spies and said, since I've done this service to you, this is what I want you to do. When you come back, I want you to protect me and my family. And we'll go through the details about how they were going to arrange this. She had to drop out, a, the Bible says, a cord, a red cord. It was a, a rope for them to identify it. And then they would not harm anyone that was in that house. This is essentially what, what we've already studied. However, there's one other point that I think I need to uh, make this morning. And some of you may have this question. And I'm going to read a quote from um, the Bible Knowledge Commentary by Dr. Walford and R.B. Zuck. And this is the quote. How could Rahab have such a remarkable faith and still be a harlot and so glibly tell lies? Maybe some of you were wondering about that because I made the point she was a believer. The Scriptures make that clear. The answer would seem to be that as she, responded to, uh, as she responded in belief to the message she heard about God's works, she later responded to further messages concerning God's standards of life and obeyed. In other words, she only had very limited information. She didn't have any scriptures. She didn't have anyone there to give her the gospel. This shows that God is able to save anyone, anywhere. She had enough information and so she was a believer, but she didn't necessarily have all the dots connected. And so what Dr. Walford and uh, Dr. Zook are saying is that she responded to what she had so far that was the works of God, and then later on she would respond to the standards of God. 
Then I'll continue the quote here. He says, After all, spiritual maturity is gradual, not instantaneous. Even John Newton, who wrote the gospel song, Amazing Grace, continued for some time after, the, after his conversion in the slave trade before he was con convicted about his base and degrading practice and gave it up. So <clears throat> Rahab is an example of a person who you cannot tell whether they are saved or not by their behavior. Now that goes against the grain with a lot of people, a lot of denominations and religions think, oh no, you look at a person's life and you can tell whether they have eternal life or not. Well, that just ain't so. And the reason is because there are people who live what we would call very righteous lives. They go to church, they pray, they volunteer, they give, and they're wonderful people. And so you would look at them on the outside and say, well, that person surely would be going to heaven. That, that must be a believer. But there are millions of people who fit that category who do not believe in Jesus Christ. They do not believe in faith alone, in Christ alone. They think that you have to do some kind of work in order to be saved. You have to be baptized, confirmed, go to church, give to church, and so on. all these things, see. So it's not the nice people that go to heaven. The ones that are going to heaven are the ones who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him and Him alone. So you can't always tell. And then there's some people that look like the farthest thing than what you visualize as a Christian. And they may be living a, a rebellious life, However, there might have been a time that they believed in Jesus Christ. Maybe it was at a crusade. Maybe a family member gave them the gospel. And once you believe in Jesus Christ, God imputes to you eternal life, which is irrevocable, and his own righteousness, which is irrevocable. So you can't tell just by the behavior. One time I went to a, a rally. It was a motorcycle rally. Uh, we had some folks here that used to... Uh, be in the uh, CMA, I think, Christian Motorcycles Association. And they asked me to go to one of their rallies, so I went to one of their rallies. And they introduced me to this guy, and I couldn't help but kind of stare. He was an unusual-looking guy. He had a beard but no hair. I mean, completely bald. He had earrings here. He had tattoos everywhere. He had a tattoo of a swastika on his head. Right up here, on top of his head, he had a swastika. And, the, uh, you know, I thought, all right, well, this is a motorcycle rally. I, this, I guess this is the style. And, I, and you would think that this person, if you saw him, he's the last person you would think, not only would you not think he was saved, but he couldn't know anything about the Bible. That guy was not only saved, he knew more about the Bible than most preachers. And he loved to talk about the Word. So you can't size up a person by the way they look or the way they act. Because they can fool you. You can tell more by what they say than how they believe. I mean, than how they act, excuse me. Um, what they say, you can't always tell because people lie. But if you ask people, it's amazing if you ask people what they think about God or, or about Jesus Christ or the Bible or things like that, they'll tell you. They may tell you more than you want to know. You might have to finally say, that's enough. I got the point. So you can't tell just by looking. Certainly you couldn't tell by uh, Rahab. Now, it takes some, some believers time for them to change their lifestyle. You see, I have been in contact with several people in the past that say, when you believe in Jesus Christ, a great momentous thing takes place. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. But it's in the spiritual realm. It's a wonderful things. So over 40 things that God does for us at the point of salvation. The thing is, you don't feel it. Now, some people are saved. They believe in Jesus Christ and they're so convicted of their sins and they cry and they weep. And it's an emotional thing. Others may not even have... Someone telling the gospel. We have people sitting in our midst that just read the gospel out of the, out of the Bible and they were saved. 
There's no big traumatic experience. If you have a big experience, that's fine, but it's not required. And so it's, it, it takes a person a while to... Uh, and people are different. Some people, when they're saved, they, they start immediately uh, using the grace of God. They start growing. They start learning what life is all about. And their lifestyle changes fairly rapidly. Others, it may take a long time. So you can't look at a person's behavior and tell. In fact, I have a book in the back in, in the library there. You know, the name of the book is Can You Tell? The whole book is about can you tell if a person is saved or not by their behavior. And there's so many examples in the Bible of people that we know were saved. Even some of them were spiritual giants. Look at David. David did things that would embarrass hell, and yet we know he's a believer. He's a man after God's own heart. So you can't always tell. Now, I'm going to give you one other thing here about uh, her with regards to her profession, and that is there is a slight hint in Joshua chapter 2, verse 6. I want you to go there. Go to Joshua chapter 2, verse 6. There is a slight hint. that maybe she had already changed her ways by the time the spies got there. It's not absolutely conclusive, but at least it's worth looking at. Joshua chapter 2. <coughs> Excuse me. Look at verse 6. But she had brought them up to the roof. These are the two spies that she was hiding and hidden them in the stalks of flax, underlying stalks of flax. Stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Now, why, what's the big deal about stalks of flax? Well, flax was material that they made cloth and rope out of. And we also know that she had a rope. Now, you can kind of conclude that maybe she was in the rope business. Why else would she have flax up there? Uh, what they would do with flax, they would soak flax stalks for about six weeks, and then uh, they would lay them up on the, on the roof or somewhere where they could dry out, and that's what she was doing. She was drying out these uh, flax stalks. And after so long a time, you could take that material and even, either make cloth out of it or make rope out of it. Now, I know this is a little bit a long shot, but it's possible that she could have already changed her occupation by the time that the spies got there. So it's a possibility. But it isn't an absolute necessity to conclude whether she is a believer or not. How can we conclude that she was a believer or not? By what she said. And she said that she knows that the God of Israel was the God of heaven above and earth below. So she spoke that. And her actions, she acted on her faith, which is another thing that is very credible with regards to, uh, to her. But regardless whether she changed her occupation then or not, or whether she ever changed her occupation, does not mean that she could not be a believer and still be in that occupation. Now, of course, if she continued in that occupation, once she was a believer, she might have a, 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 what we used to call a long road to hoe. That means a hard time because God is going to start training her that this is not the way that he would have her live, and he might uh, start giving her some divine discipline about all that. Okay, Joshua chapter 2. You're in chapter 2? Let's get to the part What? Uh, that we haven't gotten to. Some of you have been waiting for this, and that's the lies. Joshua chapter 2, verse 4. Now remember, the king had already heard that the spies were there. He sent his soldiers there to check it out. The soldiers came to her house, and there was that at the gate. And she's going to the gate, and this is the... Moment of decision. And look at verse 4. 
But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, this is what she says to the soldiers, Yes, the men came to me. So far, so good, right? They did come to her. But I did not know where they were from. <gasps> Lie number one, right? She knew where they were from. That's why she was going to let them go, because she knew that they were Israelites. And it came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. Now, this is what she's telling them, which is all a big, fat lie. The men went out, and I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. She's smart, see. She don't want to linger. She don't want to debate this. She says, oh, yeah, they were here, and then they left about dark, you know. They went out to get, if you hurry, you can get them. You know, that's, she is a smart woman. Instead of the guy sitting there saying, uh, okay, and they, they take off, see. Now, before we get into this lying business, we have to recognize that there's a lot of lying going on in our culture, isn't there? I mean, it is just the normal and natural thing that people do, and it's even expected. I'll give you an illustration. Uh, my granddaughter's birthday was yesterday. My grandson's birthday was the day before. So I went on the Internet, and I was going to send them an e-card. No applause? <laughs> E-card. You know, that's where you send it through the Internet and it, it does things. You know, it's, it's animated. <laughs> I think what it is, most people here don't know what an e-card is. Anyway, so I was going through the list of where you can uh, take care of this and there was this thing that said, absolutely free birthday e-card. I thought, all right, that's what I'm looking for. So I go to it, and I spend all this time doing the, getting the thing all set up and which one I wanted and all, and I thought, this is great. And then I click on this deal, and it says, now we want your uh, credit card. I said, credit card? I thought this was absolutely free. Well, you send the first one absolutely free, but they've got your credit card, and then 30 days later, if you don't cancel it, you start getting billed. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think that's absolutely free. I think that's deception and duplicity. And I think we ought to write our <laughs> Isn't this what we expect, though? Isn't it? I mean, we are nearly cynical. When someone is telling the truth, especially if it's good, we stand back, oh, I don't know. We are saturated with lies. It seems like everybody lies these days, we expect it of people, especially my, well, politicians, so we'll just press on. Uh, lies. Well, what does God think about lies? You don't have to go to these verses in your Bible, but I'll give you a few. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 20 says, Neither shalt thou bear false witness against thy neighbor. False witness, that's lying. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19 give you the six things that God really hates. Seven are abomination. Proverbs chapter 16, there are six things which God, the Lord, which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are abomination to Him. This is verse 17. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly, rapidly to evil. Verse 19, a false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among the brothers. Now, those are six things. Two of them have to do with lying. The first one is just lying to your neighbor. The second one, bearing false, a false witness, would be a lying in a courtroom under oath. God hates lies. That's the first thing I want to make sure we all get to, get to understand. So, the question is, under the circumstances that Rahab was in, did she do the right thing? Would you do the same thing that she did? Is there anyone that would think that there would be 
consequences to this. Now, there's a lot of people who believe in what we call uh, situation ethics. Ever heard that before? That, well, your norms and standards are fine in normal circumstances, but under unique circumstances, under pressure situations, under certain things that happen, it's okay to forget your norms and standards and go ahead and lie. That's what some people would say. The question is, is this view right? And what does the Bible have to say about this? I love it. I have everybody's attention. <laughs> okay, turn to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, verse 15. Exodus chapter 1 and verse uh, verse uh, 15. Now, what was going down here was the king was all bent out of shape and he was going to have all the male children killed. All of them were going to be uh, killed and he had put out the edict. And, of course, back in those days and still in, even today, we have what's called midwives. Uh, they would help in the birthing of babies. So, in verse 15, it says, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Siphrath, and the other was named Pua. And, and he said, When you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon their birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But, to the, but, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and let the boys live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife can get to them. <laughs> Big fat one right there, isn't it? Huh? Now look what's happened next. So God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became very mighty. And it came about because the midwives feared God, underline that, because the midwives feared God, that he established households for them. Okay? Now turn to 2 Samuel chapter 17. Second Samuel chapter 17 and verse 17. Now this was during the Absalom revolution. Absalom was David's son and he overthrew the throne. David had to run for his life. And Absalom was now in power. And there was a message that needed to be given to David to warn him about something. And we're going to see that uh, Jonathan and Ahimeaz were uh, going to be the bearers of this message. So that's where we pick it up in verse 17 of 2 Samuel chapter 17. Now Jonathan and Ahimeaz were staying at Enrogel, and a maidservant would go and tell them, and they would go and tell David, for they could not be seen entering the city. The city was uh, completely taken over by Absalom. No one that was favorable to David would be allowed into the city. So <clears throat> this maidservant would go and tell them, and they would go and tell King David, for they could not be seen entering the city. But a lad did see them and told Absalom. So the two of them departed quickly and came to the house of a man in Baharim, who had a well in his courtyard, and they went down into it. So you see what's going down here. Uh, the, just like what happened 
to the spies at Rahab. Same thing happening here. The authorities found out they were there, and so they had to hide. But they didn't hide on the roof under stacks of flax. Instead, they go down into the well. Okay? Now, verse 19. And a woman took a covering and spread it over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it so that nothing was known. Then Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house and said, Where is Ahimeaz and Jonathan? Is, you see how close this is to what happened to Rahab? And the woman said to them, They have, they have uh, crossed the brook of water, and when they searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. And it came about, after they had departed, that they came up out of the well and went and told King David. Okay? Very similar parallel to what we have with what happened to Rahab. Now, so far you might be thinking, well, okay, where are we going with this? Well, where do we go when we're not sure? Well, we always go to the Bible. But who is our best example in the Bible? The Lord Jesus Christ, right? Let's see what he would do in a situation where he was asked a question that put his life in jeopardy. What did he do? So go to John chapter 19. John chapter 19 and verse 6. Now, let me give you the setting here. This was uh, Jesus Christ before Pilate. He had already gone through so many uh, court cases, all of them kangaroo courts, all of them uh, false. And he is under extreme pressure at this time. He has already been physically beaten and tortured and he this would when the person would be at their weakest physically and mentally and this is what goes down starting in verse 6 when therefore the chief priests and officers saw him that was Christ they cried out saying crucify crucify and Pilate said to them take him yourself and crucify him for I find find no guilt in him Pilate was just being honest. He saw no reason to, to crucify him. Verse 7, And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he had made himself out to be the Son of God. And when Pilate therefore heard this statement, he was more afraid. Now remember, Pilate's wife had already had a dream and said, Don't handle this case. And he saw Jesus Christ, and he already thought, there is something very different about this person. And now, after the clamor of the Jews to have him crucified, and they said he claims to be the Son of God, his stomach just fell. Have you ever had your stomach just fall like you're in an elevator? He is really scared now because he thinks, what if that is true? So, <clears throat> verse 9, And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, where are you from? Okay, there's the question. Now, Jesus Christ could very well say, well, he could say a lot of things. He could say, well, I'm just, I'm just a Jew like the rest of them. And what would happen? Well, a lot would happen. Pilate would probably say, well, let's just send him back. He's, he's, not, he's not guilty of anything. We don't have to worry about Caesar getting involved in this and finding out that there's someone here being another king. He's not claiming that he's a king. He's not claiming that he's from heaven. That would be one thing that would happen probably. But there's another thing that would happen for certain. Do you know what it is? We would have no salvation. All it take, took is one sin. It doesn't matter whether it's a, a verbal sin, overt sin, or mental attitude sin. If he would have lied in order to save himself, 
I, I don't know, the, the universe would have disintegrated probably. I don't know what would have happened, but I know one thing for sure. He would have been disqualified to be our Savior because he would have his own sin. So, he said, where are you from? And, but Jesus gave him no answer, underline that. He didn't speak, he didn't answer him. Was this a sin? Of course not. He had the authority there asking him, where are you from? Jesus didn't speak a word. He didn't answer him. Verse 10, Pilate therefore said to him, you do not speak to me? He's pretty impressed with himself. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and I have the authority to crucify you? Was that true? Yes, it was. However, I love Jesus Christ. I love what he says. Look what he says. And I, very humbly, no doubt, he says, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me up to you has the greater sin. But what he's telling this highest authority presently over him that says, I can kill you or I can set you free. And he says, you have no authority unless the authority, the Father, gave you that authority in this particular case. Jesus Christ could have snapped his fingers and had legions of angels there and turned Pilate into a gingerbread man if he wanted to. He could have done anything. Now, this is very instructive to us. Let's, let's analyze this for just a moment. In the first two examples, the women... They lied in order to protect the, peop the, the men who were on a mission from God and also to protect themselves. Okay? Now, this is what I want to make sure that you understand. When they refused to turn over the spies to the authorities was the right thing to do. First of all, let's get that down. And that's, that's big for some because there's a lot of people who think, no, when there's a delegated authority that tells you to do something, you do it. But there's extenuating circumstances. There's an authority higher than any a governmental official, whether it doesn't matter whether he's a president, a king, a potentate, an emperor, no matter what. The highest authority is our God. And so, refusing to turn them over to the authorities was the right thing to do. But listen to this. Lying to them was not the right thing to do, and it was not necessary. What would you do in the middle of the night? Your life is at stake. This happened in Germany over and over again. And it's happening now over in the Mideast. There are Christians who are hiding in homes right now. And the, at any moment, day or night, there could be that knock on the door. And they come and they say, where are they? What would you do? Well, what we've learned so far from this, turning them over would not be the right thing to do. But lying would not be the right thing to do either. So what do we learn? What do we learn from Christ? Don't say anything. That's what Christ did. He didn't answer them. However, not saying anything might be putting your life in jeopardy as well as those who you are hiding. But we don't break an absolute command from God about lying in order to accomplish something that maybe only God can accomplish. Now, there are things you could say. I have a list here. You might laugh at one or two of them. I, I don't mean them for them to be funny. But it's hard. And I had, a, I had, listen, I had time to sit and think. Now, what are some things that you could say that 
would not be lying and yet not giving it up either. Now, I had time. I'm sitting in my chair, and I have time thinking about this. When the knock is on the door and they're standing there, how much time do you have to think? And the heart is boom, 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 boom. It's just about to come out of your chest. You have a lump in your throat. You can't hardly speak. Well, here's just a few examples of what you could say. Or even before you, I say that, maybe the best thing to do is don't open the door. Well, they might break it down. Well, okay, let them break it down. Maybe that's the best thing to do is just don't answer the door. Don't go to the door. Might be one, one idea. Or you could say, I don't want to get anyone into trouble. Well, that's kind of a weak one, isn't it? Or, I, I don't want to get involved. Or, I can't speak without consulting my attorney. <laughs> uh, you're going to like this one even more. <laughs> I can't speak. Oh, no, here it is. My husband instructed me not to talk with strangers. <laughs> I, I like this one. Now, these are just things. That I'm just throwing them out there. When they said, where are they? You could say, where is who? And they said, the spies. We've got reports that you're hiding spies. You could respond with a question. Why would I hide spies? It's not a lie, is it? You're asking them, why would I hide spies? Now, in any of these responses, they could say, get out of the way and slam you against the wall or whatever else. I'm just throwing out some ideas. So you at least won't have a blank slate when, when you hear the knock at the door. Probably what's going to happen, you go in the door, and what did the preacher say? What did the preacher say? What did he say? Well, uh, uh, I, I, <laughs> The best thing, I think, is what Christ did. Don't say anything. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking. Some of you might be thinking, yeah, but if you don't say anything, it's putting your life and their life at risk. Let me ask you something. Is God able to protect you and those who He has on a mission under whatever circumstances there may be? Huh? Is He able to do that? You see, the lying part is the lack of faith in what God can do. No one can thwart His purpose. And if those two spies are fulfilling His mission, His will, can any man, any group of men, keep that from happening? No. So, so many things could happen. They could have been distracted. Maybe a messenger comes from the king with a, uh, the castle is being attacked. Oh, everybody turns around and runs away. Or it could be that they, they go in and they search for them and they can't find them. Or it could be that the leader has a heart attack, maybe has appendicitis. Maybe God will bring down a lightning bolt and strike him dead. We're dealing with the supernatural power here. And the lying was a lack of faith that God can take care of whatever issue it is. Now, I, I'm the first to agree with you. That's hard. That's tough. The easy route is just expediency. Just lie. It's just a lie. But a lie there would keep God from showing His omnipotence and His faithfulness, His love. And so... The hard thing that I'm telling you is Rahab did the right thing by not turning the spies over, but she did the wrong thing in lying to the soldiers. What would have happened if she hadn't have lied? We don't know, but there's one thing for sure. There's no power on this earth that could touch Rahab or those spies if it was God's will for them not to be harmed. Is that true? That's what we need to be thinking. And if you don't know what to say, usually the best thing is what? Keep your mouth shut. What is it? Slithens de mute. 
I'll give it to you in some more languages, but I just know those two that I can say that in. I'll fake some Chinese. Everybody goes home, Pastor was speaking in tongues. <laughs> just don't say anything. And trust God to work it out. But we don't, make, we don't do something that God hates in order for Him to come through for us. We have to have that type of faith. Now, in the women in Exodus, as well as Rahab, were blessed in spite of their lies. Remember in... in um, Let's go up here to um, here uh, in in Exodus chapter one and verse uh, twenty-one, and it came about because the midwives feared God. Remember, I had you underline that. It's because they feared God that He established households for them, not because they lied. He blessed them in spite of their lives, but they feared God more than they feared what the authorities could do to them. And that's the way it should be. Isn't there a lot to learn about Rahab and what was going on there? So, refusing to turn over the men to the authorities who were on a mission from God was the right thing to do, but lying about it wasn't. He could have caused a hailstorm. The roof could have caved in on him. Uh, who knows what, what God could have done? We won't know because Rahab here took the easy way out. So the Bible commends Rahab for her faith, not for her lying. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, James chapter 2, verse 25, which we've already gone over, will substantiate that they were blessed for their faith, for acting upon their faith, but not for their lying. And here's another thing that we can note is that here you have Rahab that had a phenomenal victory. Can you imagine this woman, the only believer in Jericho, a woman, a prostitute, who had got enough information to believe in the Most High. What a victory it was when she took and hid those spies. And she was telling the spies, I know that your God is the God of the universe. I know that He is going to come in and use you to destroy Jericho. And I want you to pledge and make a fervent pledge to me that when, we, when you come in that you're going to spare us because I've done this favor to you. This is the favor I'm asking back because I know that your God can deliver. All that is wonderful, isn't it? Five seconds after she had this wonderful conviction about doing the truth, she fell into sin, didn't she? She lied. What that tells us is that you can't rest on your laurels. You can't coast. You can't, you can't become a, 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 a person who thinks, I've got it made now, look what I did. Because we are so vulnerable. She did a great thing, but she also fell. But we also know that God's grace covered her. But she wasn't right in line because God hates lying. There's not many people like Rahab. And she is very much lauded in the Bible. We went to the, a Matthew chapter 1, James chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 3, whole chapter of Joshua chapter 2 about this woman. She was not willing to negotiate or compromise. She was willing to risk it all, even her life, to stand for truth. Now that should be a conviction to us. Because when we stand for truth in a society that we live in, there's going to be ostracism. There's going to be family members who are going to say, I don't want to have anything to do with you. You're a religious kook. You don't even belong to a denomination. You go to that weird old church out there. You're not even in town. You're, you're in between two towns. You're out there no telling what goes on out there. I'm not making this up. People have said this. And they ask you, what are you, a Baptist, Presbyterian, or what? No, well, I'm a Christian. I go to Bible church. Uh, 
You know, they look at you like, well, you got leprosy or something. You can't compromise. It's never worth it. What's worth is standing firm for truth regardless. You'll never regret it. I'd like everyone please to bow your heads. The last portion of this service is dedicated to someone who may not know where they're going to spend eternity. They want to go to the good place. They, they would like to go to heaven if there is a heaven in their mind. The greatest news that you will ever hear is that you don't have to work your way to heaven. You can't be good enough. You have to be perfect. Only one person was perfect, the Lord Jesus Christ. He went to the cross, crucified for your sins. He died, was buried, and rose again. Now He offers eternal life to anyone who will trust Him and Him alone for it. And you don't have to do anything other than believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can do that right now. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, walk an aisle, or do anything. You have the information, just like Rahab had the information. You have volition. God gave it to you. Now the issue is, do you trust in Jesus Christ and His work for you on the cross? Are you going to trust in your own work in order to make it there? Over and over and over again, the Bible says, it's not of works lest any man should boast. You can make that decision right now. Father, we're so thankful for your mighty word and this example of this, this woman in a pagan city who was all alone except for her positive volition that you brought the spies to her house, saved her. So much we have learned from her. We thank you for this. And we pray that we won't forget that, that we won't dread the knock on the door. Whatever it is, we can remain silent and watch your mighty hand work on our behalf. We thank you for this and pray that you will help us to meditate upon these things. For we pray it in Christ's most high and holy name.